Xerxes' house and reclined at the table. All right, this is awkward already, and here's why. If you don't know a lot about the context of the Bible or a lot about what's going on, the Pharisees did not like Jesus. In fact, this did not like is an understatement. They pretty much hated Jesus. They thought he was a fraud. They thought he didn't know what he was talking about. Pharisees had the mindset that one of the ways you got closer to God was to stay away from anybody who was bad reputation or, or was unclean. And so for Jesus, when he was hanging around with all these sinful people, the Pharisees just thought, okay, I'm out on Jesus. He's not someone I want to be around. Like, if you've been keeping up with pop culture this past week, this would be like Taylor Swift and Nicki Minaj coming together and having dinner. Or this is like Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll sitting down for dinner. Or this is like this uh, Tim Cook and whoever's running Google these days sitting down and having dinner. Th- these people were not natural dinner companions. And yet, for some reason, this Pharisee invites Jesus over. And so this, it's, it's, an awkward, it's an awkward way to start because they just, don't, they just didn't have, speak the same language, get along real well. These are not people who are naturally going to have dinner. So it's already tense. It's already uncomfortable. And then it escalates quickly. All right, looking at the very next verse, verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. How she learned, we don't know. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. All right, I've been to a lot of dinner parties. I have never seen that happen, okay? I'm sure we all have our awkward dinner party story. I guarantee you it probably doesn't top that. If it does, please talk to me after the service. I would love to hear it. But this is, this is just weird and awkward from the very get-go. I mean, you got a dinner with two people who are not exactly best of friends to begin with. A woman hears about it, comes running, for some reason decides that she's going to bring some, a jar of perfume with her, crashes the party, standing there crying and weeping all over Jesus' feet, decides, oh, look, I've got his feet all wet. I better clean them with my hair because, of course, that's what you would think in that situation. Pours a bunch of perfume on them. And I have to imagine everyone at the party at that moment is just like, what is going on? Like, you're kind of torn between wanting to sneak out and pretend that you were never there and, like, staying and capturing every moment. Like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And everyone at the party, I imagine, was waiting for, okay, what do we do? How do we react? Uh, do, I, do I tell a joke and try to break the tension? Do I be like, uh, these appetizers, yeah, these are amazing. What's, what's your recipe? Like, what do you do in that situation? And so everyone's got a different reaction. Everyone's got something that that's on their mind. And we get to see the Pharisee's reaction. His name is Simon. And this is what it says in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. So the Pharisee's reaction is right off the bat, yep, this confirms it. Jesus is a fraud. He's exactly who I thought he was. He doesn't belong here. He doesn't really represent God. In his mind, the Pharisee's mind, he's convinced this is Jesus. He just simply doesn't make my expectations. And so I bet most of the people were kind of thinking the same thing, if you want to be honest, because it's like, Really, Jesus? This is you're just going to let this woman do this on your feet and like you're just going to sit back and be cool with it? Everyone's got a reaction. Everyone's waiting for someone to respond. And so into this, I'm imagining pretty dead silence. Jesus locks eyes with the Pharisees, and this is what he says in this weird, weird situation. 
Jesus answered him. Now, Simon the Pharisee hadn't said anything yet, but Jesus knew what he was thinking. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. I mean, wouldn't you want to know? Like, what are you going to say, Jesus? What are you going to say? This is a weird situation. Everyone was all ears at this point. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. All right, not to read too much into this story, but Simon kind of sounds like a jerk here. I mean, that's a very passive-aggressive answer. Jesus tells a story that any three-year-old could get. And Simon's answer is, well, I suppose, that, of course, the one who got it. But like I said, I don't want to read too much into that situation. And so the question becomes, why did Jesus tell this story? In this really awkward situation, in this really weird moment, why does Jesus tell a story about two people who are both broke? And the thing that we want to understand from this story and the thing that we want to get is that Simon was making a mistake that most of us make too. And Jesus was telling the story to kind of erase that mistake. See, Simon was dividing the world into two types of people. There are good people, and then there are bad people. There are good people, and there are sinful people. And the good people should not hang out with the sinful people. They are separate. They are different. They do not cross paths. But Jesus tells the story, and in his story, there's only one type of person. Everyone in the story is broke, okay? Now, some of them are more broke than others, but everyone's broke, And so there's not two types of people, there's not three types of people, there's not four types of people. There's just broke people. And so you could say, well, one of them was more broke than the other, but okay, if you can't pay your debts, it doesn't matter how broke you are, you're just broke. Okay, if at the end of the month there's not enough money there, it doesn't matter if you miss it by $200 or $2,000, you don't have any money. And so what Jesus is saying is like, look, Simon, you've been dividing the world into two different groups of people. And for me, I only see one group of people. And so for you to argue about, well, I'm holier than she is, or I'm better than she is, is kind of like two ants standing next to a giraffe arguing about which one's taller, okay? You're both so short, it doesn't even matter. And so if you get nothing out of what, else out of what I say today, or if you're like getting ready to fall asleep or something like that, and you want to hold on to one thing, hold on to this one thing. And it's this idea that people matter. People matter. Now, I'm going to say this, and no one in this room, unless you're just a really, really awful person, is going to disagree with the statement, people matter. All of us will say, well, yeah, people matter. People matter. Like, and because what we do is, we usually do is we take the idea of people matter, and we put it against its opposite. People don't matter. And we're like, okay, I can agree with people matter. I bet even Simon, the Pharisee, would have agreed that people matter. The problem comes in, and this is where I want to kind of land today, is that people matter more than blank. See, the idea is not, do people matter? Yes, people matter. The problem for most of us, and the problem for Simon, is that he had other things that mattered more. See, in Simon's world, being the right kind of person mattered more than the person themselves. Being a certain group, or belonging to a certain tribe, or belonging to a certain, following a certain set of rules or ideas, mattered more than the person. Simon sees this woman in this really awkward situation, and he completely dismisses her, and he dismisses Jesus, and he says, okay, these people clearly aren't the right kind of people. Why? Because there are things that matter more to me than people themselves. My list of rules, my list of holiness, my list of regulations matter more than people. And what we're going to flip the script on today is that people matter more than 
anything else we're holding on to. See, Jesus continues the story, and what we find out is that not only did Simon not have anything on this woman, she actually got it a lot better than he did. Let's take a look at verses 44 through 47. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. Okay, now before we go on, let's explain why that's an important statement, because otherwise you're like, why would I give you water for your feet? So in that culture, the same way that if you came over my house and it was winter, I would take your jacket and put it up. In that culture, it was common courtesy that when someone entered your house, you would give them water and a towel for their feet. Why? Because if people walked everywhere. And when you walk everywhere in sandals 2,000 years ago, your feet get dirty. There were no paved roads. And so common courtesy says, okay, your feet are going to get dusty. They're going to get muddy. You've been stepping in only God knows what. I'm going to give you some water and a towel to clean your feet as just a way of saying, hey, welcome into my home. Simon didn't do this. Simon had been deliberately rude to the Son of God because he thought it was the holy thing to do. Kind of ironic. All right. But this woman wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. In the same way that if you came over to my house, I would shake your hand or give you a hug. It was customary to give a visitor a kiss on the cheek. Once again, common courtesy. Simon, thinking he was holy, did not do that for the Son of God. And this woman did. You did not put oil on my head. Once again, if a visiting dignitary or a visiting rabbi had come into your home, you would anoint them with oil. You would say a prayer for them. It was a way of one holy person saying to another, okay, I recognize you. We belong together. Simon deliberately hadn't done that for Jesus. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. For whoever has been forgiven little loves little. See, Simon thought, I know what kind of people to be. I know what kind of people to associate with. I know who I want to be, and I know that she's everything that's not. See, I don't have a whole lot of baggage, and she has a whole lot. And then Jesus says, actually, Simon, everything you've done up to this point has been deliberately rude. And yes, she did things that were incredibly weird and incredibly awkward. But in the best way that she knew how, she showed me love. She showed me care. And then he wraps up with something that was mind-boggling to me for years. I did not understand why this story ended this way. But if you look at verses 48 through 50, it says, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say to themselves, "Uh, Who is this guy who's even forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I used to be like, Okay, what faith did she have? She's this hot mess of a woman who comes in and just pours perfume on people. Like, is Jesus forgiving her because she did him a solid favor when like Simon like it kind of dissed him or like what is going on like what 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 is this faith why are her sins forgiven like if I do Jesus a favor do my sins get forgiven and then as I dug more and more into the story I understood okay there's something bigger going on here and Simon's missing it and the guests are missing it but Jesus sees it and it goes back to the fact that her very first the very first introduction we get to this woman is it says that she's a sinful woman and she brought an alabaster jar of perfume And as I did some research and I talked to some guys who were kind of experts in uh, that culture, if you were a prostitute, the tools of your trade were perfume. Remember, water is scarce. That's why it was an honor to give water for someone's feet in that culture. Water is scarce. So people do not bathe very often. Now, without getting too graphic, 
You need perfume if you're a prostitute in order to entice clients, okay? She smells better, okay? And so what this woman is doing, and this is really, really beautiful, is she's taking everything that represents who she is, everything that represents the job that she has, everything that's kind of defined her, and she's pouring it out at Jesus' feet. She's literally pouring out everything she is on Jesus' feet. And when Jesus says, your faith has saved you, what he's saying is that faith is a lot more about courage than knowledge. This woman had the courage to just leave the life that she knew and trust her future to God. What was tomorrow going to be like? I don't know. What's what's the next week going to be like? I don't know. But I'm trusting that I can leave this life because I'm trusting that Jesus will take care of my future. And so I'm literally going to let go of everything that had defined me, let go of everything that I'd been holding on to, and I'm going to say it all belongs to Jesus now. Simon misses it. Simon misses the beauty of this moment, this woman turning her entire life over to Jesus, this woman giving up everything that had defined her because Simon was too busy categorizing the world into these people matter and these people don't. This is important. They are not. And so he missed the beautiful moment. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus tells her, go in peace. You've given up everything on, for the sake of me. It's your faith. It's your courage. See, Simon actually will, would know more about Scripture than this woman ever would. Part of being a Pharisee was pretty much memorizing all of the Old Testament. That was a requirement. Simon could have told her more about God than probably anyone else at that dinner table. But she knew God's heart. She understood what Jesus was offering. And she walked away with a relationship that Simon didn't have. And see, most of us are like, okay, this is a great story. Thank you for sharing it, Jeremy. But what on earth am I supposed to do with this? I do not have prostitutes running and dropping jars of perfume at my feet. And I get that people matter, but what am I supposed to do tomorrow when I go to work or this couple weeks when I go back to school? And here's the idea. People matter, and we've said this, people matter more than anything else we hold on to. And here's what, I'm, here's what I'm betting. I'm betting every single week all of us have an opportunity to share and to show that people matter more than something else, and we don't. Because we're holding on to something else more than people. And a lot of us are honestly quite, quite a lot like Simon. I know I'm guilty of this way too often, where I look at someone and I judge their circumstances and therefore I choose not to help. For example, when my daughter was three or four. I can't remember the exact age. She woke up once in the middle of the night and just threw up all over herself. She was sick. And I don't know why I'm the one that responded. I, maybe my wife just nudged me. It's like, hey, it's your turn or whatever. But for some reason, I'm the one that she's crying out. I walk in there. She's three. She's four. There's vomit on her. There's vomit on the bed. There's vomit all around. And what I did not say to her in that moment was, Alicia, let's talk about your life choices. What led to this moment? Did you, have you been hanging out with those sick kids again? We told you that when you hang out with sick people, it's going to rub off and affect your life. And so, therefore, this is your fault. I did not ask her about her dietary habits that day. Well, were you eating things you know you shouldn't have been? Bad food leads to bad decisions, leads to vomit. No, she's three years old, okay? You pick her up, and even though you're going to get covered in the vomit too, you pick her up, take her in the bathtub, you strip off the clothes, you wash her down, you change all that, it's inconvenient, it's awkward, it's messy, and you do it because you love the other person. 
And so for most of us, what we are tempted to do is to do what Simon did. We see the mess. We see the grossness. We see the situation the person's in, and we want to play judge. And here's the deal. We're 100% right. Their bad decisions did lead to that. Their choices did lead to that. And we can walk away being 100% right and never, ever, ever loving a single person. Because what we're holding on to is the decision to be right instead of saying people matter more than my need to be right. People matter, and I'm going to love them. And so how does this play out in our lives? How does this actually look on a day-in and day-out basis? I want to share a story with you from my brother's life that really kind of brought this home. All throughout college and graduate school, my brother was the operations manager at a Chick-fil-A. Now, if you know anything about Chick-fil-A, you know it's, a, an, it's an overtly Christian company. One of the things they do is they stay closed on Sunday. Um, and so because of this, because it's overtly Christian, every Christian pa- parent wants to send their kid to go work at Chick-fil-A for their high school job. Go work at Chick-fil-A. It'll be great, and, you know, it's a good company, and we know you'll get treated well. So my brother, as operations manager, was in charge of hiring, training, and all that. And he had tons and tons of applications from great kids, from good families, and honestly, he could, it would have been very easy for him to just hire a bunch of people that were not headaches. And for the most part, he did. But he always reserved a few jobs in a few spots every summer, every year, for people that could not get a job anywhere else. See, in the area that uh, he was working in, you had a lot of people trapped in this cycle where you want to get an apartment, okay? In order to get an apartment, you need to get a job. In order to get a job, they want a phone number. In order to get a phone number, you need a job. And so you get stuck in this cycle where... In order to move forward at all, you need somebody to just simply give you a break. But no one will because it's like, okay, well, what's your job history? Well, I don't have one. No, I'm looking for a job. Well, if you don't have a job history, how can I trust that you're going to be a good employee here? So you get these people that were constantly stuck, constantly just needing someone to extend them a hand. And so my brother, he would save some jobs. He would save some positions and roles that the Chick-fil-A worked at and give them to people. And here's the deal. This was not easy because a lot of these people lacked basic life skills. So he would have to teach them things like, you have to show up on the day you're scheduled. That's not optional, okay? Or when a customer is rude, you don't get to cuss at them. That's not, that's not something we do here. Or just because you felt like showing up at 1130 when you were scheduled at 8, that's not a good reason to say I'm tired. And so it cost my brother a lot of time and a lot of effort to pour into these people. But why do that? Well, because people matter. And over the years that he worked at Chick-fil-A, dozens of people's lives were changed. There was a guy who was uh, 17 or something like that, and his dad decided all of a sudden, I don't really want you living here, so go find somewhere else. Just all of a sudden, like the one weekend. I mean, him and his dad had problems for years, but he just kicked him out suddenly. You're 17, what do you go do? And so my brother, who'd been building this relationship with him and had been helping him and said, okay, well, just come stay at my house for the weekend. We'll figure it out. A weekend turned into four months. But... My brother said, this person matters more than the convenience of not getting to know him. There are literally dozens of people who worked for my brother whose lives are now different. Their, path, their life path could have gone this way, but it went this way. Why? Because my brother said, you matter more than my convenience. You matter more than the ease of which I could just hire someone else. I'm going to invest my time. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be messy. It's going to be difficult for me. But you're going to matter more than what would be easy for me. People matter. Before I moved to California, um, I was part of a team that planted a church on a college campus. And two blocks from where we met as a church, there was a building that housed 
all single moms. It was part of a program that the university had there to help uh, women get a college degree and break the cycle of poverty. So everyone that lived in that building was a single mom. And we thought, hey, we're a college church. We're young. We want to make an impact in our community. What better group of people to reach out to than a building literally full of single moms only two blocks away? So we said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to host a Bible study for them. We're going to invite them. And so we sent flyers. We talked to them. We said, hey, here's the date. Here's the time. You guys, we're going to do a Bible study for you. We want to partner together. Nobody showed up. Not a single person. Like, don't these women get it? Don't they know they need Jesus? You know, we're, we're kind of, oh, well, okay, we'll try something else. So they said, okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe we'll do something for the whole family. And so they said that we're going to do some Friday night game nights. And so we said, you can, we'll show a movie. We'll play some games. You can bring your kids. It'll be fun. Once again, sent out flyers, advertised it, all kind of stuff. Like, two moms and their kids showed up the whole summer. We did like four or five of them. Like, don't these women know that they need to spend time with their kids having fun? What's wrong with them? And so we were like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? So then we got the brilliant idea. Why don't you ask them what they would like? And so we went and talked to them, and here's what we found out. They're exhausted. They're full-time students. They're full-time moms, and all of them had part-time jobs at least. And they said, okay, look, we can't fit anything else into our schedule. It's not that we don't appreciate what you're trying to do. It's just we're exhausted. We can't add something else into our schedule. And so like, okay, uh, what, what, what can we do to help? You know, we're a bunch of 20-somethings. We're not real smart. Uh, they said, okay, well, if you could do anything to make our schedules less busy or to take some of the, that would be appreciated. So we said, okay, what about twice a month we get together, we'll provide free babysitting for you guys. And so instead of you having to come to us, we'll come to you. Inside the building was like a, a rec center or gym area. And so twice a month we got together, and we'd cook up a bunch of hot dogs and potato chips and water. I know it's not the healthiest thing to give kids, but your college, it was a bunch of college students, so you do what you can afford. And so we'd play games with them. We'd feed them. And out of that, we got some really beautiful stories. We got a story of a mom who said, hey, for the first time in like three years, I got two hours of uninterrupted sleep. Thank you so much. We got a story from a mom who said, I got to celebrate my birthday. I haven't celebrated a birthday since I was 16. We had a story from mom who said, I went to the grocery store and no fights broke out because I just got to go by myself. It was awesome. Thank you so much. And over the years that I was a part of that and years that did that, we saw lives changed. We saw people change. People mattered. But the thing that we had to do is we had to get over our own way of wanting to do it. We wanted to do a Bible study. And we would have been 100% right. People need to be in Bible studies. People need to know the scripture. 100% right. Wasn't affecting the soul. We could have said, our game nights are amazing. Look at all the money and effort we spent into these. People need to spend time with their kids. We would have been 100% right and not affected a single person. Or we could say, whatever people need is more important than my way of doing it. And each and every one of us this week will have an opportunity. I don't know what it is. But I, I know that if we pray as a community, God, open my eyes to the needs around me. We'll be shocked at how many people need something from us, a word of encouragement, a chance to really encourage, a chance to share something that we have with someone else. But the thing that'll hold us back is the same thing that might have held Simon back, is are we going to let go of whatever it is we're holding on to that we think is more important, or are we going to let it go and just simply say, people matter more than my need to be right, than my need to have an easy life, than my need to have my schedule the way I want it to. See, at the very end of his life, when Jesus is sharing his final moments and his final words with his disciples, he said, look, we've been together for several years now. I've told you a lot of things. I've shown you a lot of things. But as you go forth as my disciples, there's going to be one thing that defines you. There's going to be one way the world's going to know that you're my disciples. And in John 13, 35, it says, 
by this, all your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not the way you vote, not the way you dress, not how much scripture you've memorized. Those are all good things. Those are all things we can talk about. But the world is going to know that you're a follower of Jesus by the way you love each other and by the way you love the world around us. So what are you holding on to that you can let go of? Imagine what Natomas would look like if the 300, 400 people of adventure all said, I'm going to put aside everything else and love people well. I'm not going to hold on to anything else. I'm going to love people well because people matter. How many different stories would we be able to share just next week? How many stories this next year would we see of people who have been broken and forgotten really see their life changed because people said people matter? For a moment, I just want to speak to the person who's like the woman. And all your life, you've been defined by something. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's what someone did. Maybe it's something you did. Maybe it's what someone did to you. But all your life, you've been holding on to something that's defined you. My story for you today is that you matter more than whatever you're holding on to. And just like the woman in the story poured it all out at Jesus' feet, whatever you're holding on to, you can let go of, give it over to Jesus because you matter. You matter more than your past. Faith is not about how much you know about God or how much you know about Jesus. This woman knew very, very little, but Jesus said your faith has saved you because you had the courage to let it go and trust me. And so my prayer for you today is that you would do the same. I'll be down here after the service. I would love to pray with you. I would love to be with you in those first few moments as you journey in faith. But whatever's been defining you, whatever you've been holding on to, you matter more than that. God does not look at you and see the mess you're in. He sees the beauty of who you are. So if you would, let's pray with me. Our dearly Father, Lord, my prayer is that each and every person in this room would let go of whatever it is they're holding on to. They'd let go of pain. They'd let go of condemnation.